Welcome to the Kupinger Call Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinwart. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinger Call Analysts. My guest today is John Tolbert. He is a lead analyst with Kupinger Call, and he's working with us and with Kupinger Call from Seattle. Hi, John. Hello, Matthias. Great to have you back. And today we are talking about a specific flavor of um, identity and access management. We want to talk about consumer or customer identity and access management. You have just recently published a new version of our Leadership Compass Consumer Identity and Access Management. And that means that there have been some changes recently. We do these updates frequently, but what has changed in the meantime? Where are areas of innovation? Where are changes in consumer identity and access management? Well, um, there's a number of different uh, ways in which the reports changed a bit since last time. Uh, I think probably most notably, there are some new entrants in the market or at least uh, new vendors that are in the report that um, may not have been in the market that long. It's a big market and there's there's room for additional vendors to join in. I think that's why we're seeing an increase in the number of vendors in CIAM. Of course, many of the, some of them are small, some of them are sort of regionally based. I think that also reflects the the nature of, of this particular uh, segment of identity management that there are uh, particular needs or business requirements that can be somewhat tightly uh, aligned with regional differences uh, in terms of not only things like regulations, but what what kinds of identity management schemes may be in use in, in various countries. You know, there may be countries where There's a strong notion of national ID or or other uh, common identity providers. So sometimes vendors will sort of specialize around that. But in in general, yeah, there there are several key areas of innovation. First off, I guess we could talk about things like consent management and IoT device identity. Those are things that we were looking at uh, in the last iteration of the report. Uh, and then we can also take a look at some of the things that I think are are new compared to the last report as well. Right. That sounds great because I, in the projects that I'm working at right now as an advisor, I, when it comes to consumer identity, I think what you just mentioned, consent management and um, being capable of adapting to individual uh, regulatory requirements for different countries, of course, the GDPR, and but much more, that is really an important aspect. So consent management would be really an aspect that I would be interested in. What has changed here? How mature are products right now in that area? You know, they, they kind of fall across a, a spectrum, but I think in, in many ways, most of the common CIM platforms out there have built in pretty good consent management. Uh, some are completely feature rich and can handle, let's say, you know, most any requirement around GDPR. They make it very easy for their customers to be able to utilize those capabilities. They present like, you know, consumer user dashboards for monitoring what they've given consent for being and, and also you know, allow them to tweak that or, or request export or deletion of data. 
So a lot of those capabilities are pretty robust at this point. Uh, I think it will continue to be an area that will need further innovation as different privacy regulations uh, come into effect in different places around the world. You know, we've talked a, a bit about CCPA, California's uh, privacy regulation. There's probably going to be additional evolution even there, but we expect, you know, same thing, different U.S. states. There are other countries uh, that have uh, privacy regulations that now many of the CIM platforms are trying to build out um, the capability to kind of be the one-stop shop for a lot of the consent management, uh, uh, regardless of where their customers happen to be operating. Right. Um, that sounds interesting because this is really the, the the foundation for doing CIAM. If there is no proper consent management in place, actually no one is able to use these consumer identities. But But one other aspect that you've mentioned, I think that is also really of interest to me as well, and I hope to the audience as well. You've mentioned devices and the 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 connection of devices. Many vendors are talking about using device identity for context information, but in real life, that is not really yet there when it comes to, to consumer platforms. Has that changed Do you see device identity being important to CIAM or getting more important? Yeah, I think it is important, and I think it will uh, increase in importance in a, for a couple of reasons. Like you were saying, it's kind of extrapolating from that, but you know, device identity can be another channel, another risk factor that can be evaluated. You can tie particular users to devices. I think there's an advantage in being able to do fraud reduction. But there are, I, I, I won't say we've, we've hit a peak of, of innovation here. I just think things like OAuth 2 device flow is probably a, a well-accepted standard at this point. And, and some of the innovation that you see in, in, let's say, IoT device identity is around using IoT devices as part of a broader context for uh, doing uh, identity assurance. I, I think there are definitely some advantages too in terms of being able to provide a consumer with a more complete experience by integrating all the different devices they have and tying that to the consumer identity for, for management. But I do think there's additional need for standardization uh, in that space. So it'll be an interesting one to watch over the next uh, year or two. Right, you've, you've mentioned authentication and I think there are already some standards around which deserve implementation. Is this also an area that you see as an area of innovation for these products, for the changes? I'm thinking of Fido, for example. Is that available in more products right now? Yes. Um, you know, FIDO2 and WebAuthn, I think, are, are sort of poised to take off. Uh, there, there's a lot of implementations of it. There are lots of, let's say, different kind of authenticator vendors that, that are embracing this. Uh, many of the CIM platforms uh, have support for that. Not as many as I would have expected are actually... Uh, FIDO certified. So I would like to see more of the, the CIM vendors get FIDO certified and have, you know, like universal server implementations in the next couple of years, just to you know, continue to build out support for the standard itself. I think that uh, 
with an increased focus on things like passwordless authentication and MFA, that uh, that's kind of going to be the, the natural path forward for uh, many of these vendors. Right. And I think that's an interesting hint also for those who are looking at vendors just right now. Uh, the difference between having it implemented and having it certified is surely something to look at, whether it's uh, tried and tested or a, a first version 1.0 that's just running there without being fully tested and integrated. But what are other areas of innovation that you have seen? Where are the vendors currently investing? Where are they meeting the market needs? Uh, several different ways. I think that many of the vendors uh, have mobile SDKs can be good at helping to integrate uh, MFA into customer apps. And they also allow uh, the CIM vendor to collect different risk signals from the device that can then be used for, you know, adaptive authentication scenarios. I think that's a um, going to be sort of a, a minimum requirement uh, of CIM solutions uh, in the very near future. Those that do not have uh, good mobile SDKs are, are going to have to provide them. Right, right. Another aspect that's interesting to me uh, as I'm doing advisory in various areas and we are more or less really focusing and yeah, preaching the identity fabrics approach when it comes to creating modern architectures. And one key aspect is um, defining well-defined services um, and implementing them as individual services with clear-cut APIs. You've mentioned that already, but also in an adequate technology paradigm. So um, are vendors more moving now towards microservices, containers to implement these solutions so that you can scale them, so that you can orchestrate them? Is this a thing? Yes, absolutely. I um, was looking back at uh, some of the data just yesterday and I, I found that uh, uh, roughly around half of the vendors are moving in the microservices direction, which as you say, is a great way of getting to identity fabric. And I think that this is going to become more and more of a necessity as different kinds of customers probably have IAM stacks, and yet they need to be able to sort of modularly upgrade capabilities within those. So if you're delivering a service as a, you know, a container, um, and then being able to run that in a variety of different places, and then very granularly uh, upgrade those services as needed, I think there's going to be a real advantage uh, for the vendors that take that approach and then also an advantage for their customers in being able to deploy and update services in an agile way. It really reflects how the world is doing business in the era of digital transformation. Absolutely. And then you really can scale up when required. But another aspect that you've mentioned before, that is quite interesting to me as well. You've mentioned that there are countries, that there are regions where you have reliable identities already in place being provided by, say, countries like Denmark or the Netherlands or Canada, where you can really benefit from existing identity sources, existing IDPs, which are trusted. Um, what what do you, these services these vendors provide when it when there is nothing in place so is there proofing of identities identity vetting in place and how is it done 
Yeah, you know, that was also a very um, pleasant development uh, this time. I see far more interoperability with third-party identity vetting and proofing services in different products now. Um, and, and you're right, you know, it's it's often tied to particular countries, countries that have good national ID systems in place where, uh, you know, maybe information is available over API. So there are I would almost call them like third-party aggregator services that can pull in uh, different identity attributes. And sometimes it's outside the scope of government too. There are, you know, financial records uh, in the U.S. You know, the credit rating agencies have information. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're seeing an evolution of this ecosystem of identity vetting uh, service providers in the CIAM companies are providing uh, more and more direct connectors integrations with those services. And I think that's a, a really good thing for uh, both the consumer side and, and on the enterprise side as well, being able to do, especially like remote identity proofing, you know, during the times of the pandemic is uh, a real business advantage and a way of reducing fraud. Exactly. And I think that's really of importance. Anything that reduces friction on an, in an onboarding process or in an upgrading process for an identity from being just a consumer and transforming then to a um, to a customer who wants to spend money on that. I think also this update when it comes to understanding how trusted is such an identity, that is really of importance. Are there some more emerging functionalities, something that is new that has been added to the portfolio of CIAM functionalities, capabilities? Yeah, I would say that sort of along the lines of identity proofing services, overall, there's integration with what we are calling fraud reduction intelligence platforms of which identity vetting services uh, are a part. Uh, and the idea there is simple. It's to try to help reduce the different kinds of attacks, generally account takeover attacks and, and new account fraud uh, where, um, where fraudsters will collect bits of information about a real person and then use that to assemble a, a fake account, um, you know, so that they can, you know, commit some, generally some sort of financial fraud. But yeah, there's there's about five or six major uh, components to fraud reduction. Credential intelligence is another important piece of that. You know, as a CIM solution provider, you um, would want to help your customers prevent fraud. Uh, so knowing if, if a credential, like an email address or a username has been used elsewhere for fraud, very recently, you'd want to be able to lift that up as a, a risk signal to tell your customer there's, you know, an increased chance that this this particular transaction is risky. Uh, do you want to proceed with it? So anything that that CIM solution providers can do to help uh, improve the uh, the risk landscape for their uh, customers is is definitely welcomed at this point. So I, I think, yeah, identity proofing, credential intelligence as an overall part of fraud uh, reduction intelligence. Yeah, we're seeing more and more of the CIM vendors making this available over API, maybe packaging this up, uh, having subscriptions and connections so that uh, if a uh, potential customer wants to build that into their 
solution, then then it's easy for them to do so. Yeah, great. So it's definitely worthwhile reading this updated version of that document. Also for those who have been reading the earlier editions of this document, because things have really changed. I understand this is already published, right? Yes. Perfect. Um, so I would highly recommend, of course, to the audience to head over to cookingacall.com and um, have a look at that document. But also for those who are interested in more information, um, I would highly recommend, we are recording this episode uh, in December, close to the uh, Christmas break. And as we are not allowed to leave home anyways, there are great videos available on the Cooping a Coal site, which are the results of our online events that took place over the course of the year. And there have been several really interesting events also in the in the space of, of consumer and customer technology, consumer uh, and customer identity and access management. Great talks by end users, by vendors, by analysts, and highly recommended. And you just can watch them when having registered at our website. And they are really worth watching Uh, I would really recommend these as well. Um, any other recommendations from your side when it comes to consumer identity information uh, and some resources you would recommend? Um, uh, for those that are interested in the fraud reduction piece, we have another report that published back in February, and I'll be up starting the update to that uh, in first quarter. So uh, I do think these are very related areas and uh, will probably continue to uh, grow even more related in the months and years ahead. Yes, great. I think that is really a great hint as well, because as you said, they are really closely related. And um, when it comes to real life solutions, they most probably will work together to get to a proper consumer identity access management while protecting fraud and other types of risk. So. Thank you, John, for being my guest today. I could talk about that topic for hours, actually, um, but, but we have only a limited amount of time. So thank you for being here today. Thank you. And uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. Bye-bye.